In just two days, it will be the 10-year anniversary of my brother Nicholas's death. And the reality of that has been weighing so heavily on me. It kind of started, I would say, about six months ago, where I just realized that this was something that was going to be coming. I think it became more real because he was at our wedding. And so I was, I was looking forward to celebrating our 10-year wedding anniversary. I also knew that there would be that other <clears throat> part of our first year of marriage that within two months of that great celebration was this unbelievable and unexpected loss. I've been trying to hold that um, and, and be present and productive and all of these things while trying to manage the grief. And I don't know why there's something about 10 years that feels different or extra just because like I miss him every day there's no lack of missing him but this um ache took on um just a more intense form when I realized the 10-year mark uh so I've sort of been um reflecting on things that I've done over the years to manage pain and discomfort um And this one day, I was really missing him a lot. Um, And I thought to myself, I'm going to go shopping. And I drove around my city a little bit, thinking of where I could go and what I possibly needed to get. And then I just had this moment of deep, and um, I'm very grateful for this, of realization. And it was, Marie, a run to Target will not bring your brother back. A new picture frame... Um, eating a box of cookies, whatever it is, whatever this thing is that will bring the quick fix will not ultimately bring your brother home. And I once made a list of all the things that I've done to comfort myself um, in all sorts of grief, relationship grief, um, maybe the coming and going of friends or um, trouble with money, uh, disappointment with weight, um, feeling guilty as a mom or being over tired, whatever it was, these quick fixes that I think are pushed in front of us um, in our culture as the answer to the issue have actually caused much greater harm in the long term. So a couple weeks ago, um, I was lying in bed and just like I was hit how could I put it? Just like I suddenly maybe stubbed my toe or ran into, like fell off a swing and hurt my arm. I don't know, something like that. The pain of missing Nicholas came over me and I grabbed my phone and I just thought to myself, okay, I'm going to pacify this right now with Netflix. And then I paused and I just thought, no, I have to feel this pain because it's real. And so I laid there, I was lying on my left side on the bottom bunk of my daughter's bed, my kiddo's bottom bunk, however you put that. And she was lying close to me and I didn't hold her on purpose because she was not meant to carry the loss of her uncle and her job is not to pacify her mom in times of grief. But I did look at her and I enjoyed her and and, and felt full in so many ways with being so close to her beautiful little life and then I let the pain just slowly move through me 
wasn't like a wave. It, w- it was like a pulsing aching that went from the top of my head to the tip of my toes. And I woke up the next morning feeling heavy. I felt the way I did on August 7th when I woke up the next morning and I realized that it was not a nightmare, that in reality it was true that he was gone. And I felt that loss within me whenever it was last this last July. But I also felt like releasing that pain or feeling that ache was a form of honoring my humanity and of honoring his humanity and that missing him is is something that deeply matters because he is worth missing today i just i feel really um heavy i know we're going to be driving up to minnesota tomorrow um we'll get the questions from the kids how did he die was there blood do you still miss him? Did you see his body? No. And then I'll see these people that loved him and that knew him and, and we'll be celebrating together. And there's something so rich about that. And I was just talking to my mom today and I was saying that one of the things that I run into on a regular basis is um, a truly existential crisis of what the fuck is the point of doing things and of working so hard at all these different things if I'm just going to die. Um, and I was listening to some podcast, um, the other day and I can't even remember where or who, but the person that was being interviewed said that she had faced a lot of death in her life and she had finally come to terms with the way to move through that fear of her own death was to see the work that she does as the work of legacy. And I think about how young or how old my brother felt when he died. I mean, I knew he was young, but I was only 26. And at 26, I already felt old. And he was 24. And I knew that that was young, but it didn't feel that young because I was only a few months older than him. And now that I'm 36, um, I realize how incredibly young that was and how also I still draw from him. Um, I've been crying, so my voice is a little raspy. But I realize how much I draw from him now and how his life really, um, legacy I think sounds kind of like it's the legacy you leave behind. But really I think it's, it's also showing a way. Um, if I die tomorrow, my hope is that for people that will miss me, and as they get to know me more after I've died, just the way I have gotten to know my brother more in the stories I've heard and the things I found out he did that I didn't even know about when he was alive, that um, people will be able to draw from the work that I did. And they'll be able to sort of see these different ways out. And after I was done you know, sharing my, with my mom, this aching for him and this fear of my own mortality. She shared with me that one of my dearest family members who I refer to as Auntie Karen passed away two days ago. And Auntie Karen was actually not my aunt. She was married to my dad's cousin. And when I first met her, 
she was so much older than me that I just didn't feel comfortable calling her Karen. And so I asked her if I could call her Auntie Karen. And I was telling my mom that one of my sweetest memories is of hugging my Auntie Karen when she was wearing this pink sweater that she would wear. And I buried my face into her and just let her arms wrap around me with this soft sweater and her sweet smell and her laugh and her joy. And when my mom shared with me that Auntie Karen died, um, which was just about an hour ago, I burst out just heave crying. And as my mom and I cried together, um, then after that, we started again talking about like this idea of legacy. My mom kind of brought it back. And like the gift of watching someone grow into who they're meant to be and not selfishly, but receiving the gift of what they have done as um, sort of a light to follow along the way. Because life can be so hard. I've just been feeling such a mix of incredible joy this summer. Um... This summer has probably been one of my most joy-filled summers. I um, am so grateful to have an incredible therapist and to be on the right medication um, for my PTSD. And I feel like I'm just able to be so present to my kids. I feel like I could just, I mean, I'm just laughing with them as if I'm just like jumping into this this like wavelength, you know, like just like diving right into these moments. And I feel so present and grateful. And also I, I'm just aware of the things that are happening around the world and the darkness and sadness that so many people are carrying. I mean, walking around in stores, you know, probably trying to pacify my grief with some fucking frame out target. (laughs) I'm also looking at people just knowing, like, what are you carrying? And uh, maybe what I want to do today is do an act of service for people that, just like me, are carrying heaviness that no one else can see. I want to look at people and just... just honor them with my attempt at kindness and my with my attempt at seeing them and with my attempt at noticing the little details instead of driving around like a mad woman which I can also tend to do when I'm feeling really sad because then my ADHD is like oh my god what do we do and where are we I stopped at Salvation Army um, after I called one of my best friends and I was just yelling at her about everything (laughs) that I hate about everything that is sad. Um, I, I dropped some stuff off and my eyes were so heavy from crying and the man um, collecting the donations kind of looked at me and I just said, it's just been a day and my eyes filled with tears again. And I just said, I, just found out that one of my closest aunts died and and I'm going to be coming up against the, t- the the anniversary of my younger brother's death and I'm just sad and he was a lot bigger than me he had a shaved head and a couple tattoos and um, 
gauges in his ears and he said, do you want a hug? And I, I kind of hesitated and then I was just like, yeah, I do. And he just gave me the strongest, sweetest hug. So here I am like embracing this stranger, this guy, you know, outside of the donation center of Salvation Army. And he patted my back and he said, you're going to get through it, girl. And, um, and so as always, I, I find that I don't fucking know what to post sometimes. I, I had this incredible conversation with my younger sister last week. I got childcare. We recorded a, a far too long episode. It was 70 minutes. Don't worry, I was going to edit it. Um, we said many an inappropriate thing, but we talked about a lot of really deep and important things. And I was so excited to share it with you because my plan since my last episode was to post this conversation with my sister. Like this was the one. So between the six kids that we have, you know, between each other and our crazy lives, we, we carved out this time and we made it happen. And I was watching the podcast load after we were done and then it didn't save and I felt like what the fuck like I was so annoyed so I've been like trying to think of what do I post next and there was a part of me that just didn't want to post about the sixth again like here I am still missing my brother still trying to navigate my shit and um (laughs) And I don't want to get redundant on this podcast. Like, hey, it's Marie again, and my feelings are the same. Um, but what is changing, I guess, is that maybe I'm allowing it to be part of my life more. Um, that maybe instead of instantly pacifying with Netflix or Rosé, or um, I don't know, buying things that I really don't need. I'm trying and I'm failing. And then I'm trying again to just honor the feeling of the pain and let it move through me and maybe count that as good as well, even though it's uncomfortable and even though missing my brother and talking about how much I miss him um, gets old sometimes I don't think I'll ever be able to stop talking about him because he's part of me and And I'm never going to let that go. And I think the only way that the good parts of him, that the legacy of his short life can live on is if I, I keep trying to live mine as honestly and, um, embodied and integrated as I possibly can. Is the the therapist Esther Perel um, and her partner did some research on um, survival, and she said that 
essentially, and I'm fucking this up. But she said something along the lines of like, there's a difference between people who don't die and people who keep living. So I don't want to be someone that just didn't die. I want to be someone that really chose to live until her time came. So, ironically, I'm in the Target parking lot. (laughs) But I'm not going to buy shit. I'm going to get some Pampers um, so my little one doesn't have a potty accident at our Airbnb. And um, I think I might see if there's a pretty dress that I can wear um, on the 6th as a symbol of how I am choosing to celebrate and engage this life. Talk to you next time. Thank you.